We're talking about the importance uh, for now the fourth week, but I, I can't stress it enough of having a renewed mind. God wants us to have a, rene- a renewed mind. Listen to this verse. Don't be conformed to this world. This is everybody's only two options. We've only got two. Don't be conformed to this world's way of thinking and doing. Doesn't matter if you're saved or not. You can still be conformed to this world's way of thinking and doing. You can be a professing Christian but not living like a Christian because you have been conformed to this world's way of thinking and doing. All right? But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So change your mind, change your life. Now, today I want to deal with something that um, you might not think is a part of a biblical worldview, because that's what a renewed mind is. You have a biblical worldview. You see everything through the lens of the Bible, not the lens of the world, right? So um, I'm going to deal with something today that you wouldn't think would be a need in the church, but it is. And I've just called this, Satan is real. Now, I didn't come to preach him up. Matter of fact, I came to preach Jesus up and the devil down. And part of the way you preach him down is you expose him, all right? But I want to read a very familiar portion of Scripture out of Ephesians 6, verse 12. And this is the Living Bible's uh, paraphrase, but it puts it in a way that really brings it home. So here it is. We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. Turn to your spouse and say, I thought you were my problem. <laughs> don't get in a fight here. No, I don't. But but watch this now. We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. But, well, then who am I fighting against? Against persons without bodies. Now, that's just flat creepy. But that's what it says. Persons, real personalities without bodies. He continues, the evil rulers... Of the unseen world, a world you can't see, but it's real. Those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who do what? They rule this world. Now, now God's sovereignty over, oversees them. They are not out from under the sovereign rule of God, but the devil is called the God of this world, little g. So they influence this world. They influence the culture. How many of you can see that influence in our culture right now? All right? And against huge numbers of wicked spirits in what world? The spirit world. Now, if we could just walk away with that verse and think about it all week long, it would change your mind and change your life. Because the real enemy... You can't see them. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your blessing today on the house of God and pray that you bless this word to help us to have a biblical worldview of spiritual warfare, that we would be very aware of spiritual warfare and not ignorant of it. Thank you, Lord, for changing our mind and changing our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell your neighbor it's going to be real today. Amen. Now, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm on this because I see one of the great needs of the church is, is not just to be saved, but then to have your mind renewed. 
Because we've got a sort of a brand of Christianity out there right now where people say, oh yeah, I'm walking with Jesus. Oh yeah, I know Jesus. Oh yeah, 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 I'm, I'm saved. But when you look at their lifestyle or look at the way they think or where their values are, you go, wait a minute, this doesn't line up with the Bible. Where are you getting your values? Where are you getting your lifestyle? What have you patterned your lifestyle after? And you realize it's not the Bible, but it's the values of this world. In other words, we have a lot of worldly thinking save Christians. And we want our mind renewed. Because, listen, if your mind's not renewed, you're not going to be transformed. Now, that doesn't mean not saved. Born again and transformed are different. Born again is your spirit is made alive when you turn to Christ. Your spirit comes to life. You are resurrected from the spiritual dead when you get saved. But having a renewed mind is how we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And that's not going to happen without the renewing of the mind. And how is the mind renewed? It's renewed by getting into the word of God. You know, for me, the word of God every single day is, is indispensable. I can't do life without being in the word of God every day. How bad do you want to be like Jesus? Well, let me tell you the quick route to it. Get into the word of God regularly. And as you read that word, it's going to erase the old ways of thinking and replace them with new ways of thinking. It'll help you to see the world through the eyes of God and not through the eyes of a fallen world. And that's talking about everything. Your worldview is how you view the world. It's the lens through which you interpret All of life, everything in it, and all the hot button issues of our day are decided in your head by your worldview. And based on your worldview, you will build your lifestyle. That's why Jesus said, he that hears these sayings of mine and does them, in other words, builds his life around them, I liken him to a wise man that built his house on a rock. The winds blew, the rains fell, The floods beat on that house and it did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on a rock. And what's the rock? The person of Christ and his sayings. What he taught about life and living and morals and ethics and money and eternity and priorities and everything. All right? So as a Christian, I'm called to get into that word and pattern my lifestyle after what I see. That's what I'm called to do. And so I don't get my lifestyle from what Oprah teaches or Dr. Phil teaches, uh, uh, some talk show host, um, uh, secular books, magazines. I, I don't build my life around what the world tells me about values and money and marriage and ethics and everything else. No, I look in that Bible and I say, okay, here's the way it tells me to do. It tells me to be a forgiver. It tells me not to put all my heart in riches. It tells me how to handle money. It tells me how to, how to live a moral life, how to live a clean life. And so I'm patterning, I'm building my lifestyle around what it says because it is my ultimate arbiter of all truth. That's a biblical worldview. So in the past few weeks, we've talked about characteristics of a worldview. If you've got a biblical worldview, uh, then you're going to believe these things. You're going to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's a biblical worldview. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. 
You, you can't have a little bit of Muhammad here and a little bit of Buddha there and a little, little bit of a new age over here and bring it all together into some kind of a religious stew and, and, and that's what you worship. No, no, no. There's only one way to get right with God. And it's by way of Christ. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Now, if you have a biblical worldview, that's where your thinking is. That's part of it. Because a lot of Christians nowadays that are being surveyed are saying, no, I don't believe he's the only way. I don't believe he's the only single way to heaven. I believe what matters is God sees your heart. And that is a false message. Because if you don't put your faith in Christ, you're lost. And you will remain lost. And you will die lost. Okay? Second thing is the Bible is my ultimate source of truth. It, what, if, if I'm taught something about values, morals, a lifestyle, how to handle money, about marriage, about how to view the universe, how, to, how, how, how I see everything. If I'm taught something contrary, if something comes to me contrary to the Bible, then the Bible is true and it's false every time. Because the Bible is my ultimate source of all truth. It is non-negotiable, absolute, inflexible, unbending, unapologetic truth. It is truth. Are you with me? So, Jeff, that's kind of narrow. It is narrow. Jesus said the way was narrow. But if you're right, if it's right, if it really did come from heaven like it claims to, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable. Everybody say profitable. I don't know about you, but I like profiting. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness and how to live a godly life. Uh, it'll set you straight. Um, we need that Bible. So, so if I've got a biblical worldview, then the Bible is my ultimate source of truth. And then finally, if I've got a biblical worldview, we saw last time, then it is the belief that God made everything. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I can't be an evolutionist and be a biblical thinking Christian. I must go with God made it all. So I'm not here by mistake. I'm not here by some fluke. I'm not here by some evolutionary process that kind of randomly spit me onto the earth and and I have no real purpose, no real meaning, no transcendent faith. There's no God and nothing happens after I die and there's no afterlife. That's where evolution drops you and leaves you. But no, we don't believe that. Everybody say amen. amen. Now today I want to talk about a fourth key. Let's just jump right in. And here's a fourth characteristic of a biblical worldview. That Satan and spiritual warfare are real. Satan and spiritual warfare are real. Now you may say, Jeff, this is, you know, you're talking to the choir here. I know that the devil and spiritual warfare are real. Ah, but listen, here's why I'm sharing this. A recent poll of a thousand, over a thousand professing Christians, people who said, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven, revealed that 40% of those surveyed, almost half, believe Satan is not a real being, but he's only a symbol of evil. Oh my. So here we've got almost half of professing Christians surveyed who said, no, I don't really believe there's a real devil. I believe that he's just a symbol of evil. That's it. 
Just like I don't believe there's a real Holy Spirit, many of them said. I believe he's just a, 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 a part of God, but there's not a person of the Holy Spirit. But here they're saying, I don't believe there's a real devil. I don't, so if you don't believe there's a real devil, then you don't believe that there's a real spiritual warfare going on. Now, does that matter? If you're a professing Christian and you don't believe the devil is real or that spiritual warfare are real, do you have a biblical worldview? No. Where did you get that belief that the devil is not real and there's no real spiritual warfare? You got it from somewhere in the world that the devil is just a myth, you know, running around in a, with a, in a red suit with a tail and, and horns and a pitchfork. And he's not real. He's a symbol of evil, but he's very real. And um, again, I'm not here to lift him up, but I am here to expose him. And so let me do so. Now, the Bible is crystal clear on the reality of our enemy. In the book of Genesis, we first encounter the devil. First time in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3. He shows up to tempt Eve and he's disguised as a serpent. We know nothing about him until Genesis 3. Then all of a sudden, there he is. Here's this creature in the disguise of a serpent approaching Eve and tempting Eve and attacking Eve's thought life. And that's the first time we are introduced to the devil. And we're told that Eve is hoodwinked by the devil's lies and she falls into deception. We know the story. She eats of the one tree that God made the first couple vow that they would not eat from and sin entered the human race because Adam ate with her and sin entered the human race and you know the rest of the story. God soon shows up saying, where are you? He's looking for them. They come out from hiding and God begins to dispense judgments on all three players involved in the fall. Adam, Eve, and the devil. Now he turns to the devil and here's what he says to the devil. Because you have done this, tempted Eve, I will put enmity, which means warfare, hostility, um, um, battle between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. A descendant is going to come from Eve, the mother of all living. That's what the name means. And when this capital S seed arrives, he will, he's talking to the devil now, he will bruise your head. Now that's an Old Testament picture of a fatal blow. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. An amazing foretelling of the spike going through the foot of Jesus. He will bruise your heel. Or he he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. So you may bruise his heel, but he's going to deal you a death blow and bruise your head. Now that's the first prophecy in the Bible and it's the first messianic prophecy in the Bible. First one, first prophecy right out of the chute. And and we call Genesis 3.15 the John 3.16 of the Old Testament because Genesis 3.15 lets us know that a redeemer is coming. A redeemer is coming. And, and, and so it's so messianic. That is so has to do with the Messiah that is to come that we often call it Genesis 3.15, the, the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. It, and it also contains God's declaration of war against Satan. 
one of Eve's descendants. Get, we need to be real clear on this because when Jesus came, it was a fulfillment of all the way back to Genesis 3.15. That, that the Lord Jesus Christ would deal a death blow to the devil, would take him out of commission, would ruin him, destroy him, wreck him, undo him, stop him. Divine declaration of war against him. So starting all the way back to the Garden of Eden, we see that Satan is real. The Bible never intended us to say, well, he's just a a picture of evil or a symbol of whatever. God wasn't talking to a myth. God wasn't talking to a fairy tale. God wasn't talking to a symbol of evil. He was talking to a personality. And reading him... His future doom. We see that Satan was crafty, he was persuasive, and he was totally and completely and consummately evil. He immediately swooped in to destroy the crowning uh, glory of God's creation, man. He immediately, immediately showed up to wreck man and God's creation. The Bible reveals the devil's dark history. It's very clear about it. We learned that the very first sin to ever darken God's universe was not the sin of Adam and Eve, but it was the, the sin of the devil, whose sin was pride. That was the first sin. And I would venture to say pride is the sin out of which all other sins spring. And the devil's first sin was pride. And pride was the first sin to darken God's creation. God says in Ezekiel 28, Talking about the devil, you were the perfection of wisdom and beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. I appointed you to be the anointed guardian angel. He was an archangel. He was Lucifer, an archangel. And the prophet Isaiah goes on to tell us what happened to him. How you are fallen from heaven, Isaiah writes. O Lucifer, son of the morning, How you are cut down to the ground, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the most high. Notice, I will, I will, I will, I will. He wasn't submitted to God's will. He was submitted to his will. I will, right? So Satan, when he was Lucifer, literally it entered into his prideful mind To overthrow God. It was crazy. It was insane. But that's what sin is. It's always irrational. God responded to the mutiny of his words with this. But instead you will be brought down to the pit of hell. Down to its lowest depths. You're headed for hell, Satan. For what you have done. And the Bible also adds that when Satan rebelled, this is very important, when he rebelled against God, he drew a third of the angels with him when God cast him out of heaven. So look how persuasive this archangel was, that a third of God's angels followed him into insane rebellion. Listen to what John the Revelator writes. His tail, talk about the devil, his tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Revelations 12, 4 and 9. Clear as a bell. 
Satan rebelled. A third of the angels went with him. Now those fallen angels that went with him became the demons that Jesus regularly confronts in the New Testament. Where did demons come from? These, this third of angels. They, that's what happened to them. Lucifer became Satan and the angels that followed him became demons. They didn't lose their power, but they lost their place. The New Testament reveals that as soon as the seed, capital S, predicted in Genesis 3.15, appeared on earth, Jesus Christ, he was confronted by the devil. We see very little about the devil in the Old Testament. Every once in a while, you'll read about demons or something, but it's very vague and very obscure. But suddenly when we come to the New Testament and Jesus, the seed, arrives on earth, suddenly the devil is flushed out of hiding. And we see a war, an ancient battle being enacted on earth in the person of Christ. Everywhere he went, he confronted devils, demons, fallen angels, Satan himself. Because this is the real battle. The real battle is not in Israel. It's not in the Middle East. It's not in some far-flung nation in the world. And it's not even here. The real battle going on is not one of flesh and blood. But it's, it's unseen enemies clashing with one another. A battle between God and Satan. Christ and Satan. Good and evil. Right and wrong. Light and dark. And it's spiritual. It's in that unseen world that we can't see, but we oh, we know it's real because we feel it. When Jesus went into the wilderness, think about it. He's no more baptized in water. He comes out of the water. The Holy Ghost comes upon him in the form of a dove. And you hear God's voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately he goes into the wilderness. And what does he, uh, what does he confront? He, he confronts the devil and the devil confronts him. Satan himself. It says the tempter came to him. So all of a sudden here he is again. The same devil that was in Genesis 3 uh, approaching Jesus to tempt him. And in this showdown in the desert, Jesus successfully defeats three major temptations. And then it says, the devil, not an idea, not a fable, but a personality, the devil, departed from him until an opportune time. In other words, the battle wasn't over. Because Satan would be the Lord's constant opponent. Day in and day out till he died on the cross and shed his blood, uh, which dealt the fatal blow to Satan's head, just like Genesis 3.15 predicted. The Bible says that during his earthly ministry, Jesus made his, his business to travel around everywhere and destroy the works of the devil, destroy what the devil was doing to people. The Bible says God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. To what end? For what reason? And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. Jesus was all about ruining Satan's works. How many of you can say, when Jesus came into my life, the works of Satan began to crumble? 
what the devil had done to my life began to crumble. Come on, everybody. Let me see your hands if that's you. You know that the Lord immediately began to, to free you from the power of the devil. The apostle John tells us simply, the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. So clearly Jesus didn't come to do battle with a myth or a fable or, or, or a symbol of evil. No, he came to do battle with a real devil. He came to confront, defeat, and destroy a genuine evil being. Satan, the serpent, the devil, the fallen archangel, once called Lucifer. He came to destroy his works and him. Now that brings us as, uh, to, the, to the point of why it's so important that every believer has a biblical worldview about Satan and spiritual warfare. We can't be running around going, oh yeah, he's just a symbol of evil. Because as soon as you say that, you are absolutely powerless against the attacks of the enemy because you don't even know that you've got an enemy. What is that old saying? Know thy enemy and know thyself. If you don't believe your enemy is real, I'm going to pose a question to you. How will you ever defeat his attacks against your marriage, your mind, your body, your life, your money, everything? When Satan comes to attack you, how will you ever defeat him if you say he's not real? Do you know what Satan loves more than anything else? People not believing in him. Because then he can get away with anything. Paul the Apostle said that all Christians must deal with the strategies and the tricks of Satan. Jesus said, pray this way, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. But the Greek puts it this way, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. The evil one. He uses a masculine present tense noun. The evil one, deliver me from the evil one. His tactics, his schemes, his plots, his traps, his snares, his landmines. Deliver me today, Lord, from all the attempts of the enemy. I pray this every day. Lord, protect me today. I submit to God and I resist the devil. I put on the whole armor of God and Lord, I want to walk in your will. And I pray that whatever the enemy is going to try to do against me today, that you will protect me, deliver me, give me discernment and keep me safe because I know that I'm on a battlefield. I want to remind you again, Paul said, we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. Satan is an unseen, invisible, yet real foe. Paul writes that the other fallen angels are evil rulers of an unseen world. They are the mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness that rule this world. I believe there is a great darkness over our capital right now. I believe there is a great darkness over Washington right now. And over cities throughout America, there is a great darkness. The the enemy is moving. And that's why we as a church need to know we've got an enemy and how to fight him and how to win and how to win souls to Christ. Now, the first thing we need to know today, and I'm going to leave us with this. Let me give you just a few quick ways he attacks you and me. I can't go through all of them. It would take all day. But let me give you some of the key ones. First of all, 
We must remember today, church, please remember, he does attack. Everybody say, he does attack. Well, you're not going to worry about me. I'm not up there in a pulpit like you, Jeff, and I'm not preaching the gospel, and I'm not on radio, so he's not much worried about me. If you're washed in the blood of the lamb, you're his target. All right? He's not worried about people out there in the world. They're already hellbound. They're already bound. But he's very concerned about anybody washing the blood of the lamb because if you were to get zealous and if you were to go out and start witnessing for Jesus and if you were to start really making progress in your spiritual growth, then you are a danger and a threat to his kingdom and he's gonna come after you. So he does attack. Listen to Peter, be careful. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He's writing to the church here. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion, looking for some victim to tear apart. That's what the Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 8. So be careful. Watch out for Satan's attacks. But how does he attack? How does he come at us? Well, I think one of the main ways is to hinder our progress. He wants to hinder you. Listen to what Paul told the Romans. He said, I often planned to come to you, but I was hindered until now. That I might find or have some fruit among you. In other words, Paul wanted to get to the Romans so he could, he could uh, uh, teach them, pray for them, and, and impart some gifts and wisdom to them. Because whenever Paul came into a town, he came loaded for bear. He came loaded with spiritual goods. And, and the devil knew that if he gets to the Romans, he's going he's gonna to gift them. He's going to bless them. He's going to strengthen them. So, so what did the devil do? He hindered. He hindered. He got in Paul's way and tried to stop him from arriving there. He told the Thessalonians just who it was who did the hindering. He says, therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. Hindered means to put an obstacle in somebody's way, like a roadblock. That's what it's like. I remember I was, I was riding my bicycle one day, and I was booking down this bike trail. I was really moving. And a, a rainstorm had happened that week. And I'm going, you know, on a, on a road bike, if you're going 20, 25 miles an hour, uh, and you were to fall... Uh, you're going to know it. Put it that way. And I was really booking. And all of a sudden, right in front of me, I see this huge tree that is falling completely over the path. And I had to pull those brakes and skid, and my back tire kind of came out to the side. But I didn't hit it. But here's what it did do. It hindered me. How, how am I going to get around and, and go on down the path and get to where I want to go? So I had to figure it out. I had to pick up my bike and hoist it over this thing. And it, it took me a little bit. And, and, and that's what Paul is saying here. He said, I wanted to get to you, but this big tree was in my way. Something was hindering me. I was being hindered. And he said, I'll tell you who did the hindering. It's the devil. The devil's hindering me. He doesn't want me making spiritual progress. He doesn't want me getting spiritual blessing to you. And I wonder how often you and I are being hindered by the devil and we don't even, we're not even aware of it. But, but he's, he's put a roadblock. He uses distractions. Jesus said, 
the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and we become unfruitful. So the devil distracts us. He uses discouragement. He weighs us down with worries. Anything that will cause us to drag and slow down and not reach our intended arrival place or the intended blessing or fruitfulness we're believing God for. You think he's not working against your marriage? Trying to hinder it from being everything it's supposed to be? Or hinder you releasing your gift to the body of Christ? You you think he doesn't want to put a roadblock in front of you and slow you down and stop you and frustrate you and discourage you where you say, you know what? I've had all this fun. I can stand. I believe I'll just stay home. He can't get your salvation because you're saved. But you know what he can do? He can, he can, he can hinder your fruit bearing. He can hinder you becoming all that God has called you to be. And and see, once you know you're dealing with the devil, then you're able to say, this is not flesh and blood. This is not just fate or things that are just happening to me. You know, life's not treating me well or, or, or any foolishness like that. No, 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 no. It's not bad luck. It's the enemy trying to hinder God's children from reaching a desired goal. So you know what you can do? Then you begin to pray. I know what I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with the devil. I'm dealing with split hoof. I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with the liar, the accuser of the brethren. And, and so I, the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we begin to pray and ask God to remove those hindrances because now we know what we're dealing with. Are you with me, church? So God helped the Christian that says, oh, the devil's only a symbol of evil. He'll never know what he's really dealing with. And the enemy will get him at every turn. But those of us who know there's an enemy, we know that we've got the victory in Jesus Christ. Now, the only other thing I want to mention here today because of time is he not only seeks to hinder your progress, but he is the tempter. He's the tempter. It is Satan who dangles the bait of temptation in front of us. And you know that he's had five to 6,000 years to practice on human beings. When I was in East Texas, I got into fishing real strong. I bought a boat, bass boat, and I really got into fishing. I mean, I lived in Walmart getting every bait and lure you can imagine. I had three or four great fishing rods. I bought the boat with the depth finder and and the troller and, and the whole bit. And I used to love going out to the lake, but here's what I found. If you're going to be a good fisherman, you've got to be, an, you've got to be expert with different kinds of bait. Because as a fisherman, you got to take this right now. As a fisherman, what you want to be is an expert deceiver of fish. And so I learned, if I'm going after a black bass, I get these long plastic worms that I just walk along the bottom uh, and, and if they're not biting that, then I do the top water lures and I pull it in and it flashes and, and turns and it looks like the real thing. And my whole modus operandi as a fisherman is to convince that fish that what I'm putting in front of them is real. And that it's a blessing to them to try to bite it and eat it. That it's going to bless them. I'm lying through my teeth. 
because I'm pulling it and making it dance and, and, and making it attractive. And I'm, I'm, I'm basically saying to those fish, I've sent you a great gift. But in fact, that bait is hooked to, is, is attached to a hook that is attached to a line that is attached to a being that wants to eat you. But I don't want them to know that. I don't want them to see me in the boat. Come on. No, I want them to be totally, completely deceived. And so I learned exactly what kind of bait the different kind of fish want. And that's the way the devil is. He knows. Listen, he drops it right in front of you. He didn't want you to see him in the boat. He doesn't want you to know that, that he wants you to grab that bait, which will grab the hook, which will put you on the line, which will pull you into his boat, which will pull you into his live well, which will finally put you on his table. When Jesus was in the wilderness, the tempter came to him. We've got to understand he knows your weaknesses. He plays dirty. He knows what he had you bound with before you knew him, knew the, the Lord, that is. And so you're saved now, but, but he, he's going to go for your weaknesses, and he doesn't play fair. He goes for the jugular. He could care less what he's got to do to get you, and he's good as a tempter. He knows what to drop in front of your face just designed for you. I believe the devil will work 15 years to bring down one man or one woman of God. He's a patient tempter. But let me end with this good news. The good news is Satan has been defeated by Christ on the cross. Satan has been defeated by Christ on the cross. Can you say it with me? Satan has been defeated by Christ on the cross. Listen to Romans 8.37. We are more than conquerors on the battlefield of spiritual warfare through him who loved us. We are more than a conqueror. We don't just conquer. We do more than conquer. We're more than a conqueror. He always leads us in triumph in Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Jesus shed blood brought Satan's ruin. So we defeat him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Stand with me today, would you? So again, Satan attacks. He wants to hinder you. I consider this whole COVID thing to be a huge hindrance to the church. That's why, and I know it's real. I've had it twice and I've conducted funerals for people who uh, passed with it with other pre-existing conditions. Never anybody just from COVID. That's just been my experience. But we've made up our mind. We're going forward. We're not going to let COVID hinder our call to reach the world with the gospel we're, we're, a matter of fact, we're gearing up to do more than we've ever done, reach more than we've ever reached, win more to Christ than we've ever won, because we're not going to let COVID define us or hinder us. Let's put the last verse up there, Pam. Colossians 2.13, I want you to read this with me. Ready? Read it. God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. And God openly displayed 
to the whole world, Christ's triumph at the cross, where your sins. Amen. So if you have believed anything else, well, spiritual warfare, that's kind of out there. It doesn't have to do with me. Listen, today, change your mind and change your life. Amen. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Father, we just thank you that even though the devil is real and spiritual warfare is a very real reality each and every day, we thank you that you overcame the devil, defeated the devil, ruined him, destroyed him by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, thank you for the victory. Now, I want all of us here today, I want you to think of where you're in warfare right now more than anywhere else. Where are you in warfare? Discouragement? Something's hindering you? You're under a heavy temptation. And you feel so weak in the presence of that temptation. So weak. You're saying, Lord, if you don't help me, I just feel like I'm going to mess up. I want you to know that greater is he that is in you. Listen to me. First of all, recognize your enemy. And know that God has given you all the weapons of warfare you need to defeat the enemy. And that your victory is in the blood of the lamb and the word of the living God. And you are in a win-win situation. So I want you to say, Lord, I give you the main point of my spiritual struggles and battles right now. Strengthen me, Lord. Deliver me, Lord. Grace me and help me. Say, Lord, I'm hindered. Show me how to break this hindrance. And please break it, Lord. If your marriage is struggling, maybe you're struggling with your children, I want you to give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, today, today, let me see the victory of Jesus in this area of my life. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise today, can we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.